Amen. Thank you, worship team. And uh, wow, what a what a start. I usually get a little nervous when I get up to, to speak, but after having to stand here and be a part of a choir and sing, this is nothing. I'll take this any day. I am not a singer, and that, that was, uh, but it was fun. It was great to be part of the men's breakfast yesterday morning. A lot of people were there. Guys just had a great time to fellowship. Delicious food, too. You do not want to miss these men's breakfasts. I don't know... Uh, where that we get these, where the burritos come from, but they're delicious. Everything is free, coffee, all this food, and I uh, had a great time. It is a little early though, 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning, but it was worth it. So that was great yesterday. Good to be here and share with you again today. I appreciate Pastor Jeff giving me a chance to be included and in, uh, just fill in the pulpit as we go through this book of Nehemiah. And um, I, I'm blessed to be back. Last time I spoke, you may remember, it was before uh, Christmas. And I actually told the story about a, a Christmas movie I saw as a kid. It was, I think, the Walton's Christmas special or something. And uh, here's the amazing thing. Steve uh, Airhorn, I saw Steve back here somewhere, but, but Steve uh, comes up to me. He's, he's a part of this church family, one of the leaders, helps set up and run Sunday morning. And, and Steve comes up to me after, and he says, I knew Earl Hammer. He was the creator of the Waltons. He's the one who wrote all the books, the show, everything. And he said, I built their home, the family homes, they had more than one, but he said, I built it in Laguna Beach. And then up in the Hollywood area, I was their builder, I did all that. And he said, they were the most amazing family. They were so kind and such encouragers, and they were generous. He said, uh, he got near, he was finishing one of the homes, and, and they said, we want to we wanna bless you with something special, you know, what are you into, whatever. He said, and he was into kayaking at the time, and he was really into it, so he would want a very high-end kayak. And he tells them, and they're like, not a problem. Well, he didn't, you know, he didn't really pursue it. So later they follow up with him like, we didn't see any bill for the kayak. We expected you to buy it and charge it. And, and he said, well, I hadn't. And they said, you do it. And so he went ahead and did that. Here's why I tell that story. He was building for them. But in the process, that family built him up as well. He received this built-up blessing as he gave we're looking at the people of Israel building up the wall around Jerusalem. And it's hard work. There's no heavy equipment, no machinery, no backhoes. They're the backhoes. They're doing it all by hand. And it's hard work. But even as they build up that wall, God is building up them. And that's a word for us. And we're called to build. And he gives us all kinds of things in life. Sometimes what he calls us to build is way, way bigger than we can imagine. But you build for the Lord, and he will build you up, even as you're building for him. And I love that we're talking about building as we go through Nehemiah, because it's a, it's a metaphor that's used all the time in the Bible. And you start to think about this idea of building. It just comes up again and again. Jesus liked to use it as a metaphor makes sense because he was a carpenter as his trade he built things up before he went into full-time call and ministry as our messiah remember what he said matthew seven twenty four. therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock now, he's not talking about literally building a house on a rock, although it's good to do that. He's talking about this metaphor for life. 
our values, our goals, our priority, what matters to us, and what we base our life on. So building is just a great metaphor. He uses it again, Matthew 16, 18. Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He tells Peter, I'm going to build on this rock. Again, not a literal building, but a ministry, a life, and a call. And then Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. So Christ, gave himself, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. It makes sense that God would use building to describe how we live, because when you think about it, we are always building. All of us, we're always building, because we're building lives. The lives of people you know and love, you're helping build up their lives. Your own life, you're building into that. Relationships, careers, our physical health, our finances. We use our talents, our trades, our professions, and the pursuits that we have to build up. So whether you're building a business, a body, a home, a church, a family, we are all building our lives into something. And by God's grace, we want it to be something good. So building is a great metaphor, and it's why Nehemiah is such an important book to study. As they build the wall, and then we read about it, God is building up us. He's building us up into something that will be glorious and good and just praise uh, him with our lives. So let's take a look with that as kind of a lead in and, and just uh, my title, if you have a bulletin, you're looking at it, but my title is Keep Building. There's times we get tired, discouraged, and we just, you know, I just want to be done with this. If you've ever had a project around your house, some sort of, and it goes on a little too long, and you're like, I am so tired of this building and the disruption in our lot. I get it. Okay. Keep building. Keep building. Because God's doing a work through it, and we're going to see right now. So we're looking at a, I'm in Nehemiah chapter 4, you can see from your bulletin, and I'm going to just read through parts of it and, and just kind of give some points that I hope will be of help to us. So beginning in verse 1, chapter 4 of Nehemiah. Now when Samballot heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Ouch. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray now that as we take a closer look at your word to us, we know it's true. It's holy, it's pure and perfect, and you gave it to us. You protected and preserved your word for us so we can learn and grow. Pray that would happen now. Please set aside distractions 
things that uh, occupy our thoughts that sometimes can just get in the way of us focusing on the scripture and applying it to our lives. I pray we would do that now. We'd apply it. We'd listen and learn. And have your will done in us, Lord. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, the first thing I want you to take to heart here, when I say keep building, first thing we have to take to heart, persecution is part of it. It just is. Hardship, difficulty, pushback, it's for us all. It was for them, and we deal with it too. Persecution is just the way that uh, we have to expect and understand the world will be. In this case, there's two sort of... uh, individuals leading the charge of persecution against the Jews. Uh, Sanballat, who is the governor of Samaria. Of course, Samaria was a large region to the north of Jerusalem, and he is the governor with all of his armies there, and they are very much against the Jews. And then we have this Ammonite official who is Tobiah. And uh, commentators think that he was probably the governor of what is called the Transjordan. So if you go east across the Jordan, that that might have been his region or territory where he was uh, in charge and had however many people that were under him because he was an official. So these two are there, but they're representing far more than just themselves. And they're leading the charge with these insults. And they taunt, they ridicule, they cheap shot their efforts to build, saying it's pointless, worthless, shoddy, flimsy, and it's just going to collapse. Like, why bother? Really? You think this wall is going to do any good? If a fox jumped on it, it would crumble. Now, foxes were very common in, the, in uh, Israel and in the Middle East. They were all over the place. You read about them often in the Bible. Sometimes it's jackals also, but they were everywhere, so it it makes sense they would refer to that because everyone would know what he's talking about, a fox. But here's the thing, they were small. They're about 20 inches long, and they only weigh 8 or 9 pounds. So this is a huge insult that this wall that they want to build up 40 feet high, 10, 20 feet wide, the little fox gets up there and it all just, just crumbles down, right? And so they're having great fun mocking the Jews. Sometimes we're in a place where we're trying to share just our faith in God, and we're mocked, we're ridiculed. Maybe you had it said to you, like, no, wait, you, you, you don't really believe the Bible. Like, seriously? You, you know, just a, it was just written by people, right? And people maybe have mocked you, taken cheap shots at your faith. And I just want to say if that has happened, that's ultimately Satan loves to use mockery. He loves to create doubt in that way. Being insulted as God's people is nothing new. And if you ever find that you're being ridiculed or mocked or someone's being harsh towards you because of your faith, I want to say know that you're in good company. Because the great men and women of God have endured it long before we came along. The Apostle Paul was ridiculed and mocked, and they they jeered and, and made fun of him. He endured it again and again. And when he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy, what does he say? Timothy, don't worry. All that, that insulting and mockery that I received, it was only for me. Uh, he doesn't write that at all. You know what he says. 2 Timothy 2.12 Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life 
in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Hardship, opposition, mockery, persecution is for us all. And Jesus himself prepared us. In John 15, 20, Jesus said, If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. He let us know that that would be part of our journey and our faith. But I want to encourage you with this. Even when we are mocked and ridiculed, if we're jeered, taunted, insulted, know that you are not alone. Remember what David said in the 23rd Psalm, verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I think sometimes God is the closest to us when the opposition is the greatest. When we're mocked or just insulted, some kind of cheap shot, and boy, the Lord just shows up. And he gives us just a peace in our hearts, and you just sense God is with me. And it's a beautiful thing when you go through that and you sense it. I love Romans 8, 31. If God is for us, who can be against us, right? Who can be against us? So yes, persecution is part of it. But even then, we must keep building, continue to build, even in light of the persecution. And here's what we need to do. We're going to continue the story. Second point, I want to give you this. When persecuted, go to God first. That should be the prompt we need to lift our hearts, our voices straight to the Lord. Nehemiah does just that. Let me, let's go back to the story. I'm going to pick up where I left off now. I'm in verse 4. After their taunt about a fox, listen to what Nehemiah says in verse 4. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. You notice what Nehemiah does? He doesn't go back at Tobiah or Sam Ballad. He doesn't, oh, you, you know, you want to have some kind of a, an insult match here? Bring it on. I'm good at this. You want to do the put downs? You're taking on the wrong guy. And he could go right back at them, but he doesn't. He goes straight to the Lord. He lifts up his heart in prayer. And he's honest about it. You tell he's just hurting. He's like, we are despised. But then he asks for justice. He asks for God to intervene. They have oppressed the Jews, mocked, ridiculed. We know that from chapter 1, this wasn't the only time the Jews suffered at the hands of their enemies. It was difficult on them. Verse one, in Chapter 1, they're described as being in great trouble and disgrace. So the mistreatment was far greater than this insult. So Nehemiah responds by going straight to God, not back at the enemy. He asks for justice to be done. If they're going to dish out evil like this, let it come back on them. And I just want to say, when you're under hardship, persecution, attacks, go to the Lord first. Rather than attack back at those who are doing it, nope, go straight to the Lord. Ask for help, for strength for change, and even for your enemies to repent, for them to be saved. I, I saw this story, Pastor Chuck Smith, of course God used him to do such an amazing work in our area and around the world as we know. He said this, 
So often we seek to defend ourselves against ridicule. We will show them, we will prove them wrong. How much better to just turn them over to God and to let him deal with them. I have discovered something in ministry. If I try to defend myself against the attacks that come, God will let me. But if I just turn it over to him, he will defend me. So you have a choice. Try to defend yourself or let God defend you. Boy, what a word, huh? I'll tell you what, I'll take God's defense over my own any day. Let God in his perfect way and timing handle the defending. When I was studying this passage, one thing I noticed was interesting. One commentator said that he really could relate to the prayer of Nehemiah. And he said that because uh, what Jesus calls us to do is, is very difficult. And so Nehemiah is more like old school, right? And, of course, he's living at a time hundreds of years before Jesus came. He's living in a time where the territory of Israel was so important to defend even by war if needed. And so, so the way he approached and thought about enemies sort of is reflected in his prayer. And this one commentator said that sometimes we can relate to that because we really want our enemies, you know, defeated. And obviously, if, 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 if someone had a close relative living in Ukraine right now or you were just a, someone who loved Jesus with all your heart living in Ukraine, you would understand maybe more personally this prayer of Nehemiah as you're thinking of, of, of Russian and, and the loved ones you've lost or whatever. So we understand in warring times it can be, it can be different. But I, I want to encourage us with this. We do live this side of the cross. And in our day in and day out lives, Jesus He gives us a command on how to handle enemies, you know, to pray for them, to turn the other cheek. We want to see them come to repentance. God wants all people to be saved, and we want that too. And so there's a word for us, even as we're thinking about the persecution and hardship and and the people who make life difficult, to, to, to remember the words of our Lord and want them to be saved. We think of Jesus when he was on the cross. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. They were saying things far worse than, you know, a little comparison to a fox as they're screaming at our Lord. But he just said, forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. And it pierced hearts. Remember the centurion standing, standing right there? The Roman centurion? And what does he declare? Surely this man was the Son of God. That response to Jesus pierced a heart, and someone confessed faith in him. And so I just want to go back to this point. Go to God first. Go to him, whether it be a burden, a heartache, an attack. May our first response always be to go to the Lord. When you read the book of Nehemiah, some of you may think, I can relate to him. Because Nehemiah is constantly the recipient of problems. People just keep coming to Nehemiah. The strength, and as you keep reading it, you'll see, the strength of the laborers is giving out. The enemy is right there. We can't rebuild this wall. It's only rubble. And even his enemies are right there taunting him. Maybe some of you can relate. You often find yourself, maybe it's the kids constantly coming to you. Mom, she did this, he did that. 
Maybe it's the people you work with. Like you're this problem magnet, and it just always comes to you, and it's on you to somehow fix it. That was Nehemiah's story. Everywhere he turned, here came another problem. And what did he do? He went to the Lord. He took it to the Lord in prayer. And I just want to give you that word. We must go to God first and trust it with him. And we can be honest. We can just say, Lord, I'm discouraged. This is hard right now. Nehemiah was. We are despised. You could tell it's burdening him. But he took it to God and God responded. And I want us to, before I go to the third and final point, God could have made this way easier. Tobiah, Sam Ballot, God could have just distracted them, created some problems in their own territories, so they didn't have time to go down to Jerusalem. They had to stay up in, in Samaria or across the Jordan. God could have just made this so much easier, but he didn't. Because the greater glory to God often happens in difficulty, not when it's not even there. It's in the struggles, it's in the hardships that our hearts are lifted to God. And, and we see him just pour out his spirit and do things that we would never, ever see otherwise. God allowed this struggle to exist. And through it, he received the glory and just great things happened. So I want to challenge you with that, encourage you with that. It would have been easier, but it's not necessarily would have been better. So God allowed the opposition I say go to God first, and I'll just finish with, you've heard it before, before going to the final point, but I think the Acts model is wonderful. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Acts, when we pray, it's, it's an old, old school way to remember how to go to prayer, but it's so good. We just start by adoring God, praising him, and worshiping for who he is. Then we confess our own sins, and we're just honest about what's kept us from fulfilling God's call. We confess and we thank God for the answered prayer, for salvation, what he's done. And then we end with the request, the supplication. For me, honest here, I sometimes go right to the S. God, I need this. God, I need that. I just start by asking. It's usually a pretty long list, too, total honesty. And so sometimes I remember this Acts model to like, Rod, how about just adoring and praising God before you start asking for all this stuff? But go to God first, however you pray. He knows our hearts, and he wants us to come to him. Here's the third and final thing I want to say. After we go to God like we see Nehemiah did, final thing I want to say is use your heart and your head. God calls us to use our heart and our head. We're going to see it here. Let's pick up the reading, going back to the story. I'm going to go back to verse 6 and uh, the final reading for today. He's cried out to God, all this opposition, this ridicule. Now listen to verse 6. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. One translation says they worked with all their heart. But when Samballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem, to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God 
and set a guard as protection against them day and night. See, they went to the Lord first again. They prayed. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in the open places, I stationed the people by their clans, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us, that God had frustrated their plan. Hear that? God had frustrated their plan. We all returned to the wall, each to his own work. After they pray, they use their hearts and their heads. And they need to. Yes, God empowers, protects, blesses, and gives these guidance and ideas, but the problems don't just go away. The enemies still plot against them and stir up trouble. They're thinking, okay, words don't work. Let's intimidate them with a real big visual message. Let's bring our armies right there. Imagine trying to, it's hard just to be focused on work anyway. I don't care what our jobs are. Imagine trying to do a job and 10, 20 feet away, there's soldiers with swords ready to charge you. And you're, and you're trying to focus on work and they're right there ready to attack. I mean, this is an amazing thing that they have to deal with but they don't give up, and their hearts are in it. With all of their hearts, they just build. That means there's a zeal, a passion, a commitment. There's a persistence and a zeal, and it says God honored it. They build for miles around. They build the wall half its height, 20 feet high. That's a lot of building by hand, just picking up stones and creating a wall, but they do it because their heart is in it. In fact, later they say the strength of the laborers is giving out. They work so hard that the zeal of their hearts outlasted their own strength. They fulfilled Colossians 3.23, 500 years before it was ever written. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Let me ask you, how are you doing at working with all of your heart at the things God has given you? Where's the zeal? You know, he calls us to things, to ministries, to jobs, to roles in our family and roles in the lives of others. And he's saying, don't go at it half-hearted. Work at it with all of your heart because God is the one who sees. God is the one who's called us. I'll tell you, this, this, having to preach this was a little convicting for me. As many of you know, I retired from a full-time senior pastor last spring, just at the church across town, Harbor Trinity. And uh, that, was a, that was a call. But when I retired, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's time to kick back. Hello, easy street. And I had no sooner felt like I retired, and Pastor Jeff's like, hey, I want to have you help on the preaching team here. And I'm like, wait, 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 what? (laughs) 
And, and I'm working this week and just studying the scripture and commentaries. And, and it's like I was convicted. Like, right, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. You serve the Lord with all your heart. You give it your all. And that's a word for all of us. The call does change. They built the wall in a short amount of time, very short amount of time, 152 years. So the call does change. And there's times where we all retire. The call changes. But whatever we're called to, regardless of the change, we give it our all. We work at it with all of our heart. The relationships we're in, you know, parenting or your jobs, your own health, all of our heart. And so I look at what they did and how they did that. And they got to where they had almost no strength left, but God honored it, and that wall was built up. But in addition, remember I say use your heart and your head. In addition to with all their heart, they use their heads. They have a plan. They're thinking every step of the way. And so they're strategic. We need to post people behind the lowest parts of the wall. As you read further in the chapter, they learn we need to not only build, we need to have a hand on a weapon even as we're building. Then they come up with an alarm system that was appropriate for their day. They would stay men with trumpets spread out in certain sections, and they had a, had a deal or plan. If you hear that trumpet, you run straight to it because that's where there's trouble. So even as he prayed and they gave it all of their heart, they were wise in a strategic plan to finish the work. And some of you are loving this because you're planners. You like to think through all the details. Some of you might be more by the heart. Let's just do it. It'll work out. And you get all worked up. Let's just go. And, and some of you are like, no, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. We need to think this through. We need to come up with a plan, <laughs> make sure it's organized. Every it's perfect. You're balancing each other out. We need you both. And that's what we see here. We see this passion, this heart, but we see strategy, thinking it through step by step. I love the fact that next week, you want to be here, because next week is the annual meeting. And there's a budget. Pastor Jeff, he's... Our pastor is going to give us a vision. I'm excited to hear that. And there's um, a vote, you know, on the calling of, of Pastor Jeff. I mean, this is an exciting Sunday that we're on the verge of. And there's heart that's gone into it. I told Jeff this morning, it's like he's got the passion and heart of 10 men. I mean, sometimes when I'm with him, he's just so amped up. And I love that. But when you vote on a, on a budget and a plan and the elders meet, it also shows their heads are in it too. There's been much discussion and prayer. There's a very organized elder board and staff, men and women who think things through and they present it. And, and it's really wonderful to see how both the heart and the head are used to advance God's work in this church. And next Sunday's huge. So be here and gather and just uh, see and hear what God is doing here at Lighthouse. We need to have both. And when we do, God honors it. I'll finish with this story. I was uh, just here not long ago um, on that little ferry that is in uh, here in Newport Harbor. You know, the one that goes from Balboa Island over to, you know, the fun zone, the peninsula there. You've all been on it probably countless times. 
and I'm, I'm getting on it on the peninsula side. And as I, I'm trying to catch it, because you know how it always is, you walk up and it's, it's, you know, left the dock by 10 feet and you're so annoyed or whatever. So I'm like, I'm, I'm there, it's there. And this is great. But as I get there and I'm standing, they're not letting, letting us on. And I see that the one car on there isn't getting off. Well, it turns out the battery died. Thankfully, it was the final car. So one keeping the others, you know, pinned. It, it's the last one. But it's not that, it's like it's just a small, I don't know, it's a Toyota, just a sedan. There's a, a woman, and I guess it was her dad, uh, there in the car. And it won't start. So the captain or the skipper of this little, you know, he's got the, the instant charger things, you know, you, the, the, you hook up to the battery and usually gives a little bump, and that's enough, and off you go. It's not working. Trying and trying, it's not working. And so finally, and I'm standing there, and there's several of us, and I'm like, let's just push it. Come on. It's one car. There's a bunch of us here. Let's do this. And so, all right, all right. So they, they bring us over, and there's probably six of us now as we're, we're pushing this. But it's a pretty steep ramp. If you can kind of visualize it, it's a pretty steep ramp. And so we start to push, and the first two tires go up, but the back tires just stop kind of right at that, that lip where that big metal sort of lip is. And it's not going any further. And I'm bummed. And I say, hey, let's just push it way back to the back of the ferry and get a run at it. And the captain's not having it. He's like, no. He's, he says, what if one of it, you know, as we push it up, if someone slips and, you know, what if the, the, the driver doesn't break in time and now this thing's rolling back on some, and he's thinking liability and, and all this. And in my past, I'm like, no, come on, let's just push this thing up and get it done. Well, he was the captain, so needless to say, it ended there. And he said, we're calling AAA. So they took the ferry out, and they would just have to float. I don't think they're still floating. This has been days. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully AAA showed up, and they, they solved this. But here, here's what I want to say. Um, I was actually uh, disappointed because I, I know we could have got it done. Now, in fairness to him... I don't know all the legal side of it. It's, it's his job. I'll, I don't want to be critical. But there was, there was this, this sadness in my heart that we, we weren't the heroes. We couldn't just get this, this woman on her way up the ramp, and then she could have got a jump up there or something. And it, it was just like I hated to just give up and not have it happen. And um, it, it, was, it was disappointing. Because we had so many more people there that weren't even pushing. I guarantee you, we could have surrounded that car and got it up that ramp. And, and, and there's just something about staying in it, you know. And I know that's just a small, silly example. But I love the fact that here at Lighthouse, everyone's still pushing, you know. Like, we're not giving up. And we're in this exciting time of just calling a new pastor. And, and what's happening is amazing to watch. And it's when we all join together in God's work that it gets done. And you see it in your staff, your elders, all the volunteers, amazing worship team. And we're doing it for the Lord. It's not for us. And I go back to a verse I read at the start. Jesus tells us this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Let's continue to build our lives on the gospel on the Lord Jesus Christ. He saved us, paid for our sins when he died on the cross. He defeated death when he rose on the third day. 
of what an amazing and glorious God we serve. We are blessed beyond measure. Let's build our lives on him, on his word, on his truth, on the faith we have in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this scripture. Thank you for the, just what we learned from it. We're all called to build, and we want to build on your truth, on that relationship we have with you. Thank you for uniting us and, and just working in our lives here at Lighthouse. We commit all these ministry plans to you. And um, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who's here in the sanctuary or maybe watching online, Lord, if they don't know you, but there's, a, there's something in their heart they just want to believe, Lord, lead them to pray. And I and encourage all of you, just pray this prayer. This is a prayer of faith. It's like the one I prayed a long time ago. It's a, it's a prayer that will change your life forever. And if God is just stirring your heart to just to believe, to respond to him, if you want to go to God, please pray this in your heart to the Lord. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins. I put my faith in you now as my Lord and my Savior. Please forgive me for my sin. Please come into my life. Give me the promise of eternal life. I will trust you. I will follow you. You will be my God, both now and forever. I believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Okay, because Sal is with us, yes. and we want to have some fun today, we're going to leave you with the fast one. Yes. The one we started out with is the one we're going to end with, okay? Yeah.